0: Okay, Um, last time I was sharing, which was a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about this place of uh, nowhere between two somewheres. And um, I sense that we're moving into this, well, I I said that I sense very clearly that as we moved into this new era, that God was birthing things in us and through us. And I still passionately believe that's true. Um, And I've talked about the birthing of... Relationships, businesses, jobs, connections, ministries, flows of finance, opportunities, openings. And I still believe we are going to see all that and more as we move forward. And we're starting to see some of it as well. Um, But of course, we are in this interesting phase uh, that I've kind of termed the second trimester. Or this nowhere between two somewheres, where we've kind of, there's the exciting time. And then there's a time where it just kind of is being formed in the womb of God, if you like. And I believe there are many things that have been formed in the womb of God. uh, And you can't perhaps see them, but they're there. And they've been formed, and they're embryonic. And so it's a time of faith and patience in terms of all that God's uh, doing. Um, But we also said this, if this thing will work. There we go. Um, There we go. We also said this. Uh, just because you don't feel pregnant doesn't mean you're not pregnant. And I told you about this lady called Clara Doran who um, had no idea she was pregnant until she gave birth. And um, I, I don't... I'm not prophesying it naturally. but um, Although God might do that, who knows. But um, I don't sense that. But what I mean is, it it may be that you're in this time, you're like, well, I'm not seeing up new. I'm just carrying on doing, doing what I'm doing. I'm not seeing anything special. But of course... If it's true in the natural, it can be true in the spirit. So just because you don't feel pregnant doesn't necessarily mean you are not pregnant. Um, And I wanted to remind you that we inherit the promises by faith and patience. So in terms of all the things that we're looking forward to, there's some people, there's patience, and some people, there's faith. In fact, there's both all the time. So I just want to keep encouraging you not not to give up, uh, not to kind of let those things slip and go, no, These things are happening, and they will happen, and they're going to happen, and I am assured of them. don't mean to say that I'm assured of them every moment of every day, but I am assured of them. Uh, And I, like you, have to continue moving in faith and patience. But last time I talked, I finished off by talking about Sabbath, because I sensed um, that we might need to learn to live in this place for a little while. And normally, the natural reaction when you're in a place you don't want to be is to get out of it. Um... But sometimes God allows you to be in a place, and He wants you to learn to live in it, because He wants you to learn something rather than just escape out of it. And so, there's nowhere between to somewheres or this second trimester, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's a place we've got to learn to live a little bit. And I, I don't, I don't think this place will end just when, like, when some restrictions end, because mindsets don't shift like that. You can lift restrictions straight away, but mindsets that have been created over 15 months don't just shift so it will take a while for people's mindsets to shift Um, so i want to talk about this today sabbath as benzodiazepine sabbath as benzodiazepine and I'll tell you why Sabbath is benzodiazepine and what it is and what it's for. Some of you may already know uh, later on. But for now, uh, we're going to start in Genesis 2 and then explore the command to observe a Sabbath in Exodus 20. And then just look at how life 5,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago in, uh, in Egypt might mirror life in the 21st century. But let's start here. Uh, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So this is uh, the creation account. You've got God making heaven and earth, in, uh, and it says it's in six days. It breaks it down into a six-day narrative. And then on day seven, God finishes the work he's been doing and has a rest. And um, there are some foundational ideas we can kind of glean from this, statement and I want you to get out of your head that Sabbath is this idea of a day off or a specific day although it can be that but the reason it's a specific day is to train your mind to think in a specific way so the day is only an exercise to help you think in a certain way and it's the thinking in a certain way that Sabbath is really all about. Um, So the first thing we realize from Genesis 2 is that God is not a workaholic. God does not work all the time. God stops working. So that's the first thing. God is not a workaholic. God does not work 24-7. God works and then stops and rests. And at this stage, it's important to note that his working was good. So he rests from something that's good. So it's not that he rests from something that's bad. Sabbath is not like, a well, I have to do this thing that's not really good, and then I'm going to have a day off to rest from it. No, God's working was good. So even when everything you are doing is good... It's still good to take a rest from it. Because that's what God does. He does everything good and then takes takes a day to just rest. So that's the first thing. God's work is good, very good, and yet he still stops and rests. So your argument that everything I'm doing is good, therefore I've got to keep doing it, doesn't really stand up to Genesis 2. Secondly, we see that God is not anxious about creation functioning. And thirdly, that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. So God is not anxious about creation functioning. So, and then you start to get at the heart of the Sabbath and why it was, was commanded to the Israelites. Because if you think about that sentence, so, so God makes it all and then he goes and has a sit down. He doesn't on his day off go up to go check it's all okay. He just trusts that it's all going to work. The well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. The well-being of what God has created does not depend on him endlessly toiling at it because he has faith to believe that what is created will be self-sustaining and, in one sense, does not depend on him because he doesn't have to be involved anymore because he's already done it. And so think about those two sentences, but replace creation with whatever you are working on or building, whether it's a career, a family, a lifestyle, a business, whatever, God is not anxious about creation functioning and the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work so okay, could we be like God then and say this, I am not anxious about functioning or the well-being of does not depend on endless work because that's what it means to really enjoy Sabbath, to really understand Sabbath means to say I'm not anxious about the church functioning for me I'm not anxious about Little Daisy's function in my business for me. The well-being of Little Daisies does not depend on endless work. The well-being of the church does not depend on endless work. Then, Then you start to get to the heart of what Sabbath's really all about, but put in whatever it is for you. And whether you can actually say that statement or not. Because a lot of our work comes from Anxiety. A lot of our effort comes from anxiety. And a lot of our workaholism comes from anxiety. Which is exactly where it came from in Egypt, as I'm about to show you. And the reason I've said Sabbath as benzodiazepine is that benzodiazepines are tranquilizers that are used to treat anxiety. That's what that drug is used for. Um, it's one of the most common types of drugs for anxiety. But I see a lot of time our inability to rest stems from an inner anxiousness about our creation and our creation's ability to survive or thrive. You have all created something. You have built something or are building something or or are responsible for something. And a lot of our inability to rest stems from our inner anxiousness about surviving or thriving. This anxiousness is why people check their emails at 11 o'clock in the evening or reply to social media posts at ridiculous times at night. It's why people never switch the phone off. Because it's an inner anxiousness often about whether this thing will survive or not. And it's often... Well, now we'll get on to that. So in one sense, Sabbath is an act of resistance to anxiety. But let me show you why from Exodus 20. So remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. So let me give you some context. The Israelites have been in Egypt for about 400 years... Uh, eventually becoming slaves to Pharaoh. And this command is given to them as they've uh, left Egypt from the Exodus. They've gone through the Red Sea and they're now in this other place out of Egypt. And God's going, okay, these people know nothing other than slavery. So for generations, they've only known servitude. So they have to be taught what it means to live as human beings now and as God's human beings. And that's what you see in a lot of the Ten Commandments. And so really... But more than that, they've also grown up in a system of deep anxiety. Because the only God they've known prior to the desert wanderings was Pharaoh, who was an endlessly anxious presence. And work is how he deals with his anxiety, as I'll show you in a minute. So when you get to Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, you've got to see it as a, this is a moment of regime change. When, when the God of Pharaoh is going to be replaced by the God of Yahweh, and that's a, that's a complete regime change that's going on. And of course, it had already taken place, but this is like how they're going to live. And the Ten Commandments start with this reference to Pharaoh, who says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so in order to understand the power of the command of Sabbath and why it's an antidote to anxiety, you've got to remember what Egypt was like. Now, as I share what Egypt was like, think about what the 21st century is like. Just ponder it. So Pharaoh was absolute in power, and even though... Well, Pharaoh was regarded and regarded himself as a god with insatiable demands. So Egypt's socio-dynamic structure was a pyramid with Pharaoh at the top, a few rich people, and lots of people who didn't have very much. And this workforce at the bottom produced the wealth, all of which flowed upward to Pharaoh at the top. Nothing much has changed in most places in the world in 5,000 years, has it? Pharaoh, although absolute in power was an endlessly anxious presence who caused the entire social fabric to be permeated with a restless anxiety. So there's a severe famine. that is the part that Joseph plays. If you know the story, there's a severe famine. Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets a dream, says there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And uh, Joseph gets promoted to prime minister or whatever. And he sorts out saving something in the seven years of plenty. So there's plenty in the seven years of famine. But what happens is in the seven years of famine, Pharaoh, although he's at the top of the pile, demands payment from everybody for the grain. Pharaoh doesn't need payment, but he demands payment. And if you read the story in Genesis 47, you find that first of all, he takes their money, and then he takes their cattle, and then he takes their land, and then he takes the people themselves as slaves. So this power at the top, who has no need to take money for the grain that he's already saved up, decides to basically... It says at the end, the entire country was slaves to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh makes the entire country slaves. Not just the Israelites, who were a portion of the people in there, but the entire country become slaves. Eventually, these policies reduced the peasants to state slaves who kept building store cities to store the vast food supplies of the state monopoly because now the state owns all the land and all the cattle. So there's a complete state monopoly. Pharaoh, based on anxiety about food production which was all about maximizing his income, because he could have just given it away, would lead to misery, and the need to keep working and producing to meet insatiable quotas that were without end. And so it's in this mix, you've got a whole nation, including the Israelites, who are basically slaves, working for this one person who's at the top. And this one person, although he's got everything, is driven by anxiety to get more. Even though he's got enough to feed himself forever. And in this mix, God gives these Ten Commandments. And it's interesting, there's, if you read the Ten Commandments, there's three about God going, hey, I'm the main guy. And there's six about, look after everybody else. And then the fourth is the Sabbath commandment. And there's a reason why it's fourth. Because in that environment, in that competitive, driven, I'm out for myself environment, which when you have to get your own straw and your own clay and there's not much of it around, you are out for yourself. Because if you don't, you're going to die or your kids are going to die. So in that environment that's very driven, very competitive, very all about you and you pushing yourself forward, come these commands. Three of them are about God, one's about resting, six are about your neighbor. But how can you be neighborly if you are competing for limited straw and clay? How can you, live, how can you be neighborly when you live under the constant anxiety of making your quarter of bricks? You have no time to look after your next person, you're just survived, bothered about surviving and looking after you. You're hard pressed just to meet your own quarter each day, never mind looking out for everybody else. And so God, in this situation of competition, and drivenness, and targets, and quarters, think about the world we live in, speaks about Sabbath. In this place, in the workplace that many of you live in, that is about driven, that's about quarters, that's about targets, that's about competition, that's about if you want to get ahead, you have to prove yourself and you have to work longer hours than anybody else and do a special project over and above your normal hours to be able to get ahead. God speaks these things about Sabbath. See, the system of Pharaoh is just a mirror of the system of the 21st century. Not perhaps by anxiety about lack, but perhaps about an anxiety created by consumerism and the need for more. An anxiety of production so I can get more, do more, buy more, increase this, increase that. And almost always it's about increase for me and my close family. When did you last hear somebody say, I'm going for a promotion so I can give it all to Harry? I've never done it either, it just came to me this morning. Can't really go for a promotion these days, but there we go. But just think about it, we get so sucked in. We get so sucked into production and consumption and targets and quotas and meeting things and growing and crawling our way up the ladder. And this call to think about the neighbor, the less fortunate, the oppressed, which runs powerfully through the Old Testament and the New Testament, poses a deep question for those fresh from Egypt, and I think it poses us, us a deep question as well. How do we regard our neighbor seriously when we live in a profoundly anxious system? How do we seriously think about the other when our whole system is rigged towards me, myself, and I, making sure I not only provide, but also thrive and get more and more for me and those closest to me? So it's in this sense of anxiety about our own production and keeping alive our own creations. See, a lot of us live with this sense of, I've got to keep my own creation alive. I've got to better my own creation. I've got to make sure my creation's doing well and thriving and doing better, whatever that creation may be. Into that place, God speaks and nullifies the entire system of anxious production by suggesting you take a step back and stop. See, this limit is set by this weekly pause that breaks the production cycle. And if you, if you partake in the break of production, then you, take, you partake in the break of the anxiety cycle. The Sabbath is an invitation to become aware that life does not consist in frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone else to threat and competitor. The strange insistence of the God of Sinai is that to counter anxious production with committed neighborliness. You see, committed neighborliness, neighborlinessness. can I say it? The latter doesn't produce as much, but it does create an environment of security and respect and dignity and reminds us of our true humanity. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So God creates and then God rests. God chooses not to show up. He chooses not to check on creation just to be sure it's working. He trusts what he has already created will perform as it should. He has complete confidence in what he's already done and it will keep functioning as it should. He's not driven by an anxious sense that the world needs him to keep checking on the world to make sure everything is just so. You see, the other reason Sabbath is so hard is because if you take a step back, it means you have to accept the world will work without you. And that's our deepest challenge. That the world is capable of functioning without us but that's why it's so important to do it. Because of course, does God want to partner with you? Yes. Does God want to be a part of you? Yes. Are you vital to his plans to bring the kingdom on the face of the earth? Yes. But if, you, if you're not careful, it becomes all about you and less about him. And so once a week, it's good to step back and go, God, I recognize that you can do it without me, but choose to partner with me. And for this 24 hours, I'm going to trust that you or somebody else will sort things out. He does wonders for killing your ego. So Sabbath is so much more than a day off or doing something different to what we do the majority of our week. Sabbath is about declaring in physically, bodily ways that we will not participate in the anxiety system that pervades our culture. To quote Walter Brueggemann, from whom the ideas for this um, originated, he said this, we will not be defined by business and by acquisitiveness, in other words, getting things, and by pursuit of more in either economics or our personal relations are anywhere in our lives because our life does not consist in commodity. We will not be defined by business and by acquisitiveness and by pursuit of more. In either our economics or our personal relations are anywhere in our lives. Sabbath is about taking the time, be it a whole day, an hour a day, a week, half an hour a day, whatever works, to do something different that reminds yourself that you are no longer live in the anxiety-driven system of production and consumption. To remind yourself that you are not the answer to everybody's problems, just a part of it. To remind yourself that life will go on without you. And of course, it's also challenging, because if life can't go on without you, it means you're not trading anybody else up. If everybody needs you, and you're the center of it all, then there's an issue because one day, you will not be here, and what will happen then? It's actually a great blessing to those around you when you take a step back every now and again, because you recognize your own, you recognize that you made a dust, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to recognize that you made a dust. Gosh, you were also Breathed in there with the life of the creator but you are dust and so sabbath is to do something bodily physically different that might be doing something different it might be just switching your phone off for an hour it might be not checking your emails or setting a limit to when you do that it might be all sorts of things But it's to do something bodily, physically different that says, I refuse to bow down to the anxiety driven system of production and consumption and of threat and competition and remind myself that I have a soul that needs refreshing and my neighbors have a soul that needs refreshing too. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So Sabbath is about practicing the truth of that. If you lack nothing, why do you need to go and get something? He makes me. He makes me. Hmm. Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And there, in that place, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, Sabbath is living in a place as though it's true. And what happens is, as you put your body in a place that tells itself it's true, your mind starts to catch up. But a lot of time, you've got to do something practical to allow your mind to catch up with the truth. that You're trying to engage with So you've got to literally do something different. To what extent are you anxious about your creation functioning? To what extent does the well-being of your creation depend on endless work? Because God was not anxious about creation functioning the well-being of God's creation did not depend on endless work, even though it was good. So I just want to encourage you just to think through what are the things I do that are driven by an anxiety about it? What am I terri- why, In what ways am I working? Because I'm terrified what will happen if I don't. And what might you do about that? Because that is not a place of rest. It's not a place of peace. And it's not a place God lives in. Shall we pray? Father, I just, I pray, Lord, that as each of us ponder today that we would start to see those things that are perhaps driven by anxiety rather than anything else. And Father, I ask for those that are bold enough to see it and do something about it, that you would help them trust you And help them navigate it in some way to know that you have got them. And that even though all their work is good, that even you stepped back and took a moment and rested. You were not anxious about creation. And the well being of your creation did not depend on endless work. And Father, I pray that for each of us as we journey with what it might mean to be at rest where we find ourselves to be at rest with our creations and that which we're responsible for Lord we want that balance we want to work the six days we know what it is many of us probably all of us know what it is to work hard but Father we want to learn to rest as well in trust that you have got us and you have got all that concerns us in Jesus name Amen not an easy one to work out but it's important we ponder it because otherwise you live in a constant state of anxiety and work will never get rid of that anxiety it will never get rid of it a bit deep that one wasn't it you all going you probably need to think that one and listen to it again and ponder it but